It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Anne McElvoy, senior editor. And on the menu this week, a brief visit to an existentialist cafe, how to map city soundscapes and what happens when you crowdsource a name from the internet. But first, winners take it all was our cover line this week. America is in a golden age of profit-making, something many see as the fruition of the American dream. But as we argued in our cover leader, a problem with American capitalism is being overlooked, a corrosive lack of competition. The naughty secret of American firms is that life at home is much easier. Their returns on equity are 40% higher in the United States than they are abroad. Aggregate domestic profits are at near-record levels relative to GDP. This is a cause for concern, we argued. You might think that voters would be happy that their employers are thriving. But if they are not reinvested or spent by shareholders, high profits can dampen demand. And some slices of the pie can be nibbled into. Abnormally high profits can worsen inequality if they are the result of persistently high prices or depressed wages. One approach is simply to wait for our old friend creative destruction to take place. Silicon Valley's evangelicals believe that a new era of big data, blockchains and robots is about to munch away the fat margins of corporate America. Unfortunately, incumbent firms are becoming increasingly rooted. A tenth of the economy is at the mercy of a handful of firms, from dog food and batteries to airlines, telecoms and credit cards. A $10 trillion wave of mergers since 2008 has raised levels of concentration further. Competition may have reached new lows or highs, depending on how you see it. A recent competition launched by the Natural Environment Research Council aimed to crowdsource the finest name the internet could offer for a new polar research ship. A picture caption in our Britain section disclosed the choice as frontrunner. The NERC said it was seeking something inspirational that would exemplify the work of the £200 million, that's $288 million vessel. Endeavour, perhaps, or Falcon. Surely the internet must have responded with a suitably noble choice. So far, the runaway winner in the online vote, yet to be confirmed by the NERC, Boaty McBoatface. Well, at least it won't be forgotten. Sometimes it's important to follow the wave of popular demand, yet it can be good business to direct it. As the digital era continues the disruption of long-standing industries such as television broadcasting, one startup is going against the grain and trying to keep the conventional model alive, as an article in our business section reported. The received wisdom of the on-demand era of television is that people, young ones especially, want to watch their favourite shows anytime, anywhere and on any device. The rise of generation demand is damaging to traditional models of distribution. The linear viewing of a succession of programmes chosen by a TV station will fade as viewers dine 
a la carte from Netflix, Amazon and Hulu. Unless, of course, consumers were offered channels more attuned to their taste. Pluto.tv, a three-year-old American startup, offers free television over the internet on the assumption that many viewers are still couch potatoes at heart. They want to sit back and watch whatever happens to be on the telly. Indeed, sometimes enjoying the tasting menu is the best option. We heartily recommend it. The firm has developed more than 100 channels curated by humans with guidance from data and the occasional hunch on what people like to watch. Among the offerings are Classic Tunes TV, News 24-7, Cats 24-7, an all-Beyoncé pop channel and another that plays nothing but kung fu movies. We'll see whether that hunch works out. And sometimes a hunch is the only option, especially when the objectivity of facts and figures is called into question. So we turn to an article in our finance section which looks at China's statistics and explores the meaning of success for the country's officials. In theory, Chinese officials receive promotions based on their performance against a range of targets – delivering strong growth, maintaining social stability and, until recently, enforcing the one-child policy. Yet this may not be the whole story, which suggests another option. That those who get ahead are adept not at stimulating growth nor at currying favour, but at cooking the books. So rather than looking at GDP figures, which are undeniably questionable, this paper looked at fertility. China conducts a census every ten years – revising population data all the way down to the village level. That makes it possible to pinpoint where bureaucrats have been fiddling the statistics. Lo and behold, a pattern was born. Mayors who reduced the local birth rate by one child per 1,000 people per year, by their own count, had a 10% greater chance of being promoted. The way to get ahead in the Chinese bureaucracy, it seems, is to falsify statistics. It makes you wonder what other data have been doctored. Flipping away from statistical tinkering, we move now to our books and art section. A review there explores a new novel on existentialism and the lives of the thinkers steeped in its ideas. Existentialism is the only philosophy that anyone would even think of calling sexy. Indeed, its inception was replete with vibrant characters. Simone de Beauvoir was the prettiest existentialist you ever saw, according to The New Yorker in 1947. Her companion, Jean-Paul Sartre, was no looker, but he smoked a mean Gauloise. Not unconnected to certain bouts of nausea, surely. These deep thinkers were not averse to getting out of their chairs. One evening in Paris, a restaurant punch-up involving Sartre, Camus, de Beauvoir and Arthur Kersler spilled out onto the streets though they were equally steadfast in their intellectual inquisitions. The idea was to glean the essence of things by closely observing one's own experience of them, preferably in mundane settings. Yet some of these cafe philosophers had a more laissez-faire approach to life. When Norman Mailer was asked what existentialism meant to him, he reportedly answered, oh, kind of playing things by ear. That easy then. An article in our science section explored another facet to playing things by ear, reporting on research into urban soundscapes. You may think you know what your city sounds like, but as this research shows, there's much more to it than meets the ear. Vibrant is a word often used in guidebooks to describe a particular quarter of a city. Soho in London, for example. 
But what does that actually mean? A team of researchers went in search of more than platitudes, making sound maps of London and Barcelona. To Daniele Quercia of Bell Labs in Cambridge, England and his colleagues, the term has a literal truth to it. Soho is a place of good vibrations through the air, good sounds in other words. City planners usually take most notice of noise in their sonic considerations. This form of sound being by definition annoying has political resonance and planners do their best to minimise it. But sound can also be soothing, exhilarating, saddening, surprising and many other things besides. Well, take radio, for example. The team analysed people's reactions to certain sounds. Human ones tended to be vibrant. Birds chirping were calming. Crickets chirping were monotonous. I'll second that. But main roads aside, they are usually chaotic, a stranger to either city would have difficulty predicting from a map which streets would have good vibes and which would seem chaotic. For that, you'll have to mosey out and see for yourself. I'm Anne McElvoy. That was our tasting menu. And if you're hungry for a little more, you can find all of our stories on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.